My name's Liz Selby and I'm Curator of Social History at the Jewish Museum in London. So you get the fantastic job of putting together this gorgeous exhibition, to which I am going to start by saying, bring a tissue. It's like being <laughs> at a wedding, it might yeah. make you cry. Yeah, um, well, one of the first things you'll see when you come into the exhibition, we've got a film installation of footage of couples getting married, particularly focusing on the breaking of the glass, and I think from the start you'll feel immersed um, in the culture of Jewish weddings. Mm. Uh, what I'm loving is, you know, it's that smile, that first kiss. Yeah, it's mm. very romantic, definitely. Mm. <laughs> and and you know, at the moment it, I can see nine happy couples because you've split the screen, it's just gorgeous. Mm. It's a, a fabulous start, but that's to take us back in time, isn't it? Yeah, because the exhibition is historical rather than contemporary, so you do get to see some contemporary footage, but it's to help you get a sense of what mm. the traditions are, particularly if you're, not, if you're not Jewish, you might not know about the breaking of the glass, which is a very important element of the Jewish mm. wedding ceremony. But the rest of the exhibition really um, looks at Jewish weddings, particularly within the immigrant community that came to Britain from the late 19th century up until just after the war. Right at the beginning? Yes, we've got a few examples of early material. So most of the exhibition ranges from the late 19th century to the mid-20th, but we do have some really important items in our collection relating to early marriages. So, for example, we've got a beautiful um, handwritten invitation dating from 1803 for a marriage that was held at the Great Synagogue. Oh, look at this gorgeous picture. The picture mm. is an engraving showing Baron Alfonso de Rothschild um, marrying his cousin Leonora de Rothschild in 1857. So this was this actual picture was printed, I think, in the Illustrated News, and it was a huge society wedding, and there's a beautiful, beautifully written description of the wedding that would, be, would have been for a more general audience, kind of mm. explaining the Jewish marriage mm. ritual, and here we can see that it's actually the, the breaking of the glass is happening. Oh, right, this is yeah. standing on. What I love about it is that they all, you can see it's the time of Queen Victoria. It's, yeah. They've all got those wonderful um, sort of like crinoline skirts yes. on and the, yeah. the hair done with the flowers like a photograph of Queen Victoria and most people know there's a, yeah. you know, a young Victoria. Yeah. So and he's at the height of fashion in other words. Yeah, and I think yeah. what's interesting is that this is a Jewish family who uh, their wedding is a society wedding. They're very much established within within wider society, and their wedding is being reported upon. Now, this Katuba here dates from 1729. I mean, yeah. We only got back in and with Cromwell yeah. about 80 years before that, didn't we? Yeah. Um, 75, I guess. Yeah. Mm. So it's the earliest English Katuba that we have in the collection. Um, and what's actually, apart from the fact that it's, it's uh, very early on after the readmission of the Jews, is that we've got two handwritten notes that accompany it. One from a rabbi certifying that he married the couple. They got married within their home. And then alongside it, a note from a vicar um, who was in Hackney. And this is really prior to any kind of formal marriage legislation within the country. So we think that the couple were just making sure that their marriage was mm. recognised, not just by the rabbi, but by a vicar as well, to make sure that it had like a real kind of legal... That's so sanction. interesting, very yeah. sort of kosher in a non-kosher way. Yes, or something. <laughs> And then actually, this is in time earlier, the timeline of a wedding has got to start with the match, the meeting, mm. and they left nothing to chance in those days because this is all to do with matchmaking, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we've got a really amazing object. This is, this is going on display for the first time. Um, it's a ledger that was kept by uh, a matchmaker who was working in the East End. He was working in the 1940s. He was actually operating out of Stern's Hotel. It's open on a page here. It's in Yiddish, but we've translated it, and he's talking about one of his customers who's a young woman 
in, in his notes, he's saying that she's a beautiful, very unique girl. <laughs> probably is going to be a very good match for somebody. I'm sorry, but what have <laughs> I got a girl for you? Isn't it? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and you can see there's a stamp here with two mm. hands um, shaking, which probably means that there was a successful match. Yeah, done deal. Exactly, mm. yeah. It's our match. Sorry, yeah. sorry to keep breaking into card users. <laughs> and then um, mm. we've also got uh, a collection of letters that were found with the ledger from parents, for example, um, asking this particular matchmaker to find a good match for their son or daughter. Mm. It, it's also people on the roof. I mean, I'm, I'm about yes. to break into matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lovely letter from someone who is hoping to be set up uh, with a meeting with um, a young man at Lyons Corner House on Marble Arch, which was obviously a very popular pace for, for dates. Let's read um, out a bit of that one. Yeah, so um, the writer says, Dear Mr Tenenbaum, many thanks for your letter. I will be in London Sunday next, the 17th of February. I hope this day will be convenient for the young man. <laughs> I could meet him about 3.30 outside Lions Corner House on the Marble Arch. I love it. We haven't quite said that I'll have a carnation in my buttonhole, but <laughs> yeah. I bet that's on the next page because it continues <laughs> over leaf because then it says, or if it's suit, we don't know yes. what it says on the other no. side. <laughs> <laughs> well... They were obviously jolly good matchmakers. Yes. And then once the match is made, um, not, not everybody gets married through a matchmaker, do they? So I think some of these people just meet and marry, don't they? Yeah, um, although for the immigrant community, probably at first, when the, the community first comes over in the 1880s, that was very typical. Um, we can see in this section, we've got some examples of photographs of immigrants who got married in the early, twen early 20th century. Um, we've got some invitations, um, some menus and some dance cards, for example. Um, but as we move on, people tended to start meeting their own partners and the, the marriage trends for the community started to fall in line with the general population. Yeah. Well, let's just home in on a couple of these tiny... These, these mm. are very, very small invitations, yeah. aren't they? We've got a really intricate invitation here with a lace border um, and this is dating from 1888 and it's for a wedding at Sandy's Row Synagogue and it's amazing really that we don't know anything about the couple we can probably assume that you know they were of kind of possibly fairly poor um, but yet they've managed to kind of produce this wonderful invitation. Yes it's got lace around the edge of yeah. it. I, think it, I don't know if it's paper lace but it's, it's obviously yeah. expensive as yeah. gold and it's very, it. it's very delicate as well. Yeah. Yeah. And underneath it we should just mention there's a wonderful I think it's an invitation, yes, yes. it is Yeah. Um, with in mostly in Hebrew but it actually depicts a hooper I think that's wonderful to have. Yes. Most of the invitation is a picture of a hooper yeah. with a bride yeah. under it and quite quite a lot of officials I think, and some in top yeah. hats and some of the rabbis yeah. in full regalia, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, this is, I've only seen one invitation like that. We have lots of invitations in the collection, but this really, as you say, it depicts the ceremony mm. itself. We see that the verse underneath is actually one of, one of the, the wedding blessings. Mm. The, voice, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride. Of course, a wedding exhibition has to have wedding dresses. And I just, I'm, this takes my breath away. I don't know, what year are we talking here? Uh, 1905, yes, I thought it was Edwardian. Yes. So uh, imagine all the Edwardian dresses on television with spades, I think, don't you? Yeah, this is um, the earliest wedding dress that we have in our collection, and it's one of um, four wedding dresses on display in the exhibition. It's a very typical dress for that particular period. Well, I say dress, it's not a dress, it's actually com composed of several different pieces. So there's a, a very long skirt, a petticoat, a kind of bodice. Um, blouse. This actually had gloves with it as well, but we weren't able to put the gloves on display. Um, and it's being conserved especially for the exhibition. Should we describe it a bit then? So it's got the sort of ruched skirt, yes. there's lace at the bottom, yeah. a lovely deep lace, not quite a tissue because it doesn't cross, but what mm. you've got a lace bodice and lots of intricate 
I think it's overlay rather than embroidery. Lace kind of crochet flowers and very pretty ruched leaves. Again, there's lots of different laces on this one, and it's. It's ivory now. I don't know if it was ivory original, ivory to cream. It might have got darker. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably ivory. And it was mm. worn by a woman called Sarah Levy. She was born in London and she, she married Raphael um, Silverman, who was a, an immigrant. Um, he worked as a bootmaker. So we can imagine that they probably weren't that well off, but mm. she was able to afford this dress. Mm. Just stopped to read this quote. The beautiful diamond engagement ring acquired the large joint savings of £25, which I proudly wore on my finger for the first time on July the 21st, 1935 has remained treasured by me all my life, I bet. Yeah. Sounds like they blew the lot on that, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think that people did seem to spend a huge amount of money. Yeah, it's very interesting because obviously the community wasn't particularly well off, but it does seem that when it came to weddings, they wanted to put on a really good occasion, so they did often go beyond their means. Um, often this was, they saved up for a long time, or the father, for example, might have taken out an insurance policy mm. when a daughter was born. Um, they may have got into a lot of debt, or possibly they would have just kind of worked within their means mm. and maybe held the reception at home. But we do see much of the community putting on these huge celebrations with lots of food and um, lots of expenses. <laughs> Uh, it's quite nice to have a man's suit among this lot, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah I think mm. it was quite important. We do mm. have one um, morning jacket that was worn by Hyman Gilbert, who, he was an immigrant, he worked as a barber in the West End, and we think that he probably did quite well because he was able to afford his own jacket, and that wasn't really typical for, for men of this period. You would normally hire out um, a jacket for the wedding from one, like Moss Bros or one of those kind of companies, and there was a kind of a, quite a big trade in, in hiring out clothing for weddings. Mm. It's quite tiny, isn't it? It's very small. Yeah, it looks like he was. We've got a photograph of him mm. with his wife, and his wife is quite a bit taller than him. Towering so over him, and yeah, rather he was, wider he was quite a small man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I love it though because it looks like it might have been the height of fashion. If I, if you say yes. morning coat, that's not what we're looking at. If people get a picture in their mind. Yeah. This, this is, you know, it's got a higher neck, hasn't it, really, yes, than we'd yeah. expect. Um, yeah. And I'm it's beautiful um, tailoring, and it's in, mm. it's in very good condition as well, so and possibly it's black, it's black yeah. Mm. Possibly he only wore it once mm. or twice. Yeah, and, and there's a lovely topper with it, wow. Yeah, the <laughs> top hat actually belonged to his father, and his father mm. wore it to the wedding. Imagine <laughs> silk topper in perfect condition, that's what you've got here. Right, well, we've talked about paying the wedding a bit, haven't yes. we? Again, Daddy bankrupting himself, it mentions that. And there's some bills here, terrifying bills. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were so many different aspects to the wedding. So you'd have to pay for the marriage fees at the synagogue. Um, you'd have to pay for clothing. You'd have to pay for the ring, um, flowers, um, photography. And then, of course, you'd have to pay for the reception, which was probably mm. the biggest expense. Well, let's just look at a couple of them. So the bridal bouquet for the wedding, mm. we don't, I'm not quite sure what year we're in, but it's the 11th of February. I think it's 1934. So this particular couple... Mm. Um, oh, it says, hang on, yes, 1934. Marjorie yeah, Simmons yeah. and Henry mm. Solomons. Um, they got a bridal bouquet, five buttonholes and one horseshoe. Um, and they paid £1.10 shillings. Not too bad, does it? <laughs> <laughs> and also, we should just perhaps look at Boris's bill, because yeah. Boris is a famous wedding photographer we're so going Boris, to talk about. Um, as many people know, was the kind of go-to photographer for weddings for the Jewish community in East End, and he built up a very successful business, and he had lots of different offers, so one of the things he did was often uh, provide the photographs in the frames, because he wanted people to put them on their mantelpieces at home. And if you're a little bit better off, you might be able to afford to have your uh, photographs hand-tinted as well. 
Mm. But his bill is what I'm here. It's four pounds yeah. sixteen shillings. Yeah, it looks like the couple got a set of postcards and enlargements as well, and mm. two frames for four pounds sixteen shillings, which was quite a lot, really. I'm thinking because it's it's well, isn't it? It's about four times as much as the flowers. Yes, so yeah, yeah. But, I mean, something. you get to keep the, the photos for I the suppose. rest of your life. Okay, so. all right. Boris right. <laughs> <laughs> would have said that he was a good salesman. Yes, exactly. He said, yeah. "Wow, that's a bit expensive." <laughs> yeah. This is would be my wedding dress of choice. Mm. It's a flapper wedding dress. Isn't yeah. Yes, it's a very straight um, style, so very very fashionable for that particular period. And I think what's interesting is looking at the, the dress that we just looked at from 1905, the woman would have been very well covered, and then this mm. dress, of it, which is much more, much more flesh exposed. Yeah, yeah so skimpy. Um, the woman that wore it um, was the child of immigrants, but obviously a completely different growing up in, in a different, mm. completely different culture to her to her parents. Um, she worked as a shorthand typist, so she was quite oh, independent. Thanks. And she was also a member of the Communist Party. Um, so she sounds like quite an interesting character. Mm. Find um, out more about her. So what was her name? She was called Lily Arbestman, ma'am, mm. and she married um, Charles Brilliantstone. And they got married at Bonds Hotel, which was mm. quite a popular venue for, for Jewish mm. weddings. Well, we should, quick description of that. It's above the knee, very daring, the knee. and sleeve. Is it where their sleeves? Um, no, you can see from the photograph that mm. she's she's not wearing any sleeves no, at all. No. It's a wonderful yeah. photograph of her in it. It's lovely to see her in it. Um, yes. So you've, re yeah. I mean, we can see massive yeah. And it's a shame we don't have the shoes because they look. Mm. Absolutely oh, the gorgeous. shoes are fabulous! Wow. <laughs> they pick up the wonderful. Uh, the dress has got an uh, is encrusted with with rhinestones. And what's so wonderful is so the shoes, of course, and that they've got T bars the shoes. Yeah. But we should just have a quick look at the dress. It's just got rows of rhinestones going down, and mm. the fringe it hangs in a. It has in fringe, yeah. And we've also got the headpiece that she wore mm. um, and the veil. Beautiful. So. Oh, the veil. We're looking at a 1920s headdress, so obviously yes. it goes round just above the eyes, yes. you know, yeah. as you would expect yeah. a flapper yeah. to wear. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is to do with boys and girls getting together, isn't it? Yeah, and um, within that section, we look at how people met, for example. So um, earlier on, we saw that uh, the, the Orthodox community used matchmakers or their parents arranged marriages by the um, 1920s um, the next generation are starting to want to find their own partners and obviously they're partaking in the new leisure um, culture so going to the cinema and going to clubs and lots of East End um, Jewish boys and girls were going to the West End to dances obviously these are very secular so the Jewish community did have some concerns about this and youth clubs were one of the ways that they tried to um, make sure that Jewish young Jews were growing up in a more wholesome environment, let's say, and making sure that they didn't meet partners not from the Jewish community. So the significance of this photograph of Basil Henriquez yeah. and Rose Lowe... Yeah, Basil Henrique was a very important member of the middle-class established community. Um, he, throughout his life, um, worked with young, young Jews within the youth mm. club movement. He set up the Oxford and St George's Club, and um, his wife Rose founded a parallel club in the East End um, because he wanted to make sure that the, the good British Jews that he was kind of bringing up within his youth clubs would have good Jewesses to marry. Mm. And we've got a lovely photograph of Basil and Rose getting married during the First World mm, War in 1914. Because he's in uniform, so it's quite exactly. touchy, at least we yeah, know he survived. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love the quote, it's no good producing good British Jews if you don't create good British Jewesses for them to marry, he said. Yeah. <laughs> mm, OK, I'm not quite sure what anyone would think about that now. No. <laughs> but they probably might think it and not say it, mm. but uh, I suppose we had a point. <laughs> And then we've got two other couples here who married in the in the 1920s. 
Lily Ballon and Lawrence Marks, who um, actually met at a wedding, which was quite a typical mm. place for, for young people to meet. Um, and they got married in 1925. In Manchester, in that's Manchester. important bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they got married in Manchester. We've also got a lovely piece of footage of them getting married, so you can actually see mm. them going into the synagogue and then coming out again at the end. And we also have a lovely photograph, uh, invitation and menu for the wedding of Annie Horowitz and Barney Yellen. Um, they met at Annie's um, father's garment factory. Um, Barney fell in love with Annie he says at first sight um, but they had to wait five years to get married because Barney's older sister hadn't been married yet and it was quite normal mm. for older siblings to be married off first. Yeah I, I mean that's amazes me because you hear of that in fairy stories mm. or perhaps in the, you know, the telling of the truth and yeah. it's wonderful to find that it's actually yeah, true happen, yeah. <laughs> in real life. Right, now that this is a whole I don't know it's almost like a festival of Boris photographs yes. isn't it? Yeah. So many pictures you've got pictures on a screen that yeah. change all the time and you've got actual originals of yeah. wonderful, wonderful mean, sepia photographs. We've got hundreds of Boris images mm. in our collection so this is a really a great place to mm. show people how many that we have because he was such an important photographer. Everyone who grew up in the East End or whose family grew up in the East End knows about Boris because they've seen the photographs mm. on their family's mantelpiece for years. Yeah. He was a real personality as well so um, very charismatic. Um, he really helped couples feel at ease when he mm. took the photographs. Well, of you can them. see that, can't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. And, that, that, and, and as I've said I'm in the article in Jewish Renaissance, we have in private place on our wall there's wonderful photographs of, mm. my, of my parents-in-law looking like film stars. Yeah, here's yeah. a whole lot more film stars. Yeah, I mean there's some really beautiful ones here. For example, this photograph of Gertie Goldstein from 1929. Oh. She she really looks like a Hollywood starlet, oh, I think. Yeah, yeah. She, she does, and actually it's a good name for one. Isn't it is. It? Yeah. <laughs> Gertie Goldstein. You can almost imagine her, you know, sort of wafting through a film. Yeah. This particular photograph was taken at his last studio in the East End. Um, so after the East End, he moved into the West End. But you can see the, the background is this Art Deco window, mm. which was and a very classic backdrop for Boris photos. Yes, is it pillars or curtains in the background? I don't think it's a curtain. I think it it's... pillars yeah. of some sort. Again, and these steps, yes, the whole thing is very Fred Stone and Ginger Rogers. Yes, Rogers's. yeah. Yeah. And there's his camera. I yeah, mean, this is the think massive. Yeah, <laughs> it's obviously huge. Um, mm. Couples would come to the studio after the ceremony to have their photo taken, um, because obviously in the twenties, for example, handheld cameras weren't mm. particularly available. So um, you would have to go to the studio. You'd get your photo taken, and Boris used this photo, um, camera from the late nineteen twenties until I think for about forty years. So it's a Rolls Royce of cameras. I yeah. think we call it that. <laughs> To date, we've been talking about weddings, well, some in Manchester, but mainly mm. in the East End and then creeping into the West End. Mm. And now we seem to be creeping out of London. Yeah. So as people's living conditions improved, their working uh, lives improved, some people were able to move out to the suburbs. Um, and this obviously, in terms of weddings, was quite important because you, you might move out particularly after you'd got married you might be able to afford to buy or rent a home in the suburbs and move away from where your family was and we've got an example here Joseph Sampson and Cecilia Gelbfarb who got married in 1935 um, they were living around Hackney um, but they were able to buy a house in Harrow in northwest London uh, with the help of Cecilia's mother mm. for £1,500 and we've got this lovely list that they compiled of all the things that they wanted for their new home because obviously like unlike couples today they hadn't lived together so they didn't mm. have all the things for their home and they um, translated this into a wedding list and then we also have the, a list of what they mm. got and who gave it to them. Right, should we just pick out a couple of the less 
usual things. I mean, obviously mm. we would expect vases and coffee sets and stuff. But Mr. and Mrs. Mahoney or Marnie very kindly brought them a garden roller, and I love that. <laughs> they didn't say, "Oh, we want to buy them their cutlery." Yeah. They could see they needed a garden roller. It was on the list, and yeah. they bought it. Yeah. Then there's all the other things: uh, pastry forks, grandmother clock, whatever that is, <laughs> not grandfather clock, dozen silver teaspoons, silver teaspoons and tongs. Those are the things we would expect, but it's still wonderful to read. And a wireless, how sensible. Wireless, yeah. Oh, look, that's the Royal Society of Arts bought them the wireless. Well, um, Joseph actually worked for the Royal Society ah, of Arts, that's so that's, that's why, yeah, yeah. I just think we should point out that they met at a tennis club, and so they're very mm. John Betjeman, they're like the sort of Jewish John Betjeman couple. <laughs> They've moved out to the suburbs, they're in Metroland, yeah, and they an met at a tennis club. <laughs> an interesting thing about that is that um, Cecilia was, I think, the secretary for the, the tennis club, and she was... She did shorthand, and they actually both could write in shorthand. And so a very romantic thing between them was that they wrote each other notes in oh shorthand. Gosh, that is just what a wonderful. Thing. <laughs> all of these people sound like they should be. The, you should write a novel about them, or a play, or a short story. They just all sound so wonderful. And here's yet another stunning dress. Yeah, this um, was worn by Anne Hauser in 1930, and she worked in the garment trade, and she made the dress herself. Mm. Um, you can see the love, can't you? Yeah, definitely. Mm. It, has, it has been altered. If we look at the wedding photograph, we can mm. see that parts of it are missing. So maybe she altered it and so she was able to wear it again after the wedding, so. which was quite a common thing because mm. it was very expensive to buy a dress if you're only going to wear it once. Oh, absolutely. How why would you want to only wear that once? It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's like a column, isn't it? Like, I think, don't they call that a column dress? That it, it's very fitting and it's got this... Yeah. I don't know if that's actually embroidery that she's done there. Yeah, I don't key, know whether... It's like a key pattern, yeah, isn't it? It's all the way down. a beautiful pattern. It's possible mm. that she embroidered it or she may have bought the fabric mm. and then herself. <laughs> But now very cream, whether it was quite as cream as that originally, I mm. don't know, but it's, it's all well, ecru, I think I'd call that. Yeah. And it's got this beautiful flounce at the bottom, made of voile, would you say? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, similar possibly, material, yeah. I think. I mean, she must have looked so stunning in it afterwards mm. as well, I think. So, Right, now we're getting on to these weddings that I think, I, I remember someone saying it was a day's long eating, a day's long celebration. We're not talking about in and out. I no, definitely not. You, you really have to be... Uh, dedicated and I think a lot of people even trained for the wedding reception by <laughs> kind of starving themselves in the days beforehand um, because there was so much to eat and mm. off, and also there are stories about people gate crashing because if you were very poor mm. and you knew this occasion was taking place and there was going to be all this food you'd probably want to to go there so I would um, say yes I yeah yeah so if someone asked you which side you were you just hope yes the other side <laughs> <laughs> and some some of the function halls did employ people mm. to try and keep gate crashes out so yeah, it was. They people definitely wanted to go to these weddings for the food. Well, I'm not um, surprised. We've got lo actually we've got lovely things here that tell you a lot about weddings. Little details like this is a, almost like a dance card. It is a dance card. Yes. So it actually it still had dance cards in those days. That's very this Jane Austen. From, mm. I can't remember when this is from. This is from 1911, I think, or around the 1910s. Yes. That, that's these people. Not 1911. So this would be the new couples to the next wedding meeting on the dance oh, yeah, floor. Yeah, often that oh. would be how they met. Yeah. And here are the dances they would dance to. It actually mentions them: March, Stars and Stripes. So these are the, you use the music in the exhibition from some of we these. We are, yeah. You? There's a lovely yeah. soundtrack, mm. so yeah. hopefully it'll be very nostalgic for a few. Yes, um, and it tells you, you know, the names. Of, oh, I love Gladys Keep a Blues Singer. We'll entertain <laughs> you at the piano with popular songs, music during dinner by Rudolf Dunbar and his orchestra from the Cossack Restaurant. Yeah. And it's, it's just every single thing is like some wonderful new insight, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And then you've you've got this booking letter for the Romany bands. That sounds like a different type of band. Yeah. And I'm very glad you've got a telegram because mm. I remember that you know, we all had telegrams yes. at weddings when yeah. there were telegrams. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> and then we've got you've got this wonderful picture that 
it looks like a refectory, except imagine a refectory done up in the poshest possible way for a mm. wedding, all laid out beautifully as a banquet, because the tables, instead of being round, are long. Yeah, they were. Refectory they tables. Were long tables, yeah. Mm. I mean, this particular photograph was taken at the Portman Rooms in mm. the West End, and we can see a figure here on the right, and that's Sam Stern, mm. who ran um, Stern's Hotel and also Stern's Caterers, they catered for weddings and mm. bar mitzvahs. So they were very well known in the East End. And we can see here the uh, huge, huge um, wedding receptions. Yeah. He's got a moustache, he's quite wide, he's in full dinner dress. And I would say, Mr. Selfridge, eat your heart up. There should be a new <laughs> television series called Mr. Stern or yeah, Sam Stern Caterer, yeah. don't you? <laughs> and this something dear to my heart here because it's actually the table plan from the wedding of Annie Kleinfeld to Charles Allchard and they were my great aunt and uncle and my mum was a bridesmaid and, and my grandparents were at the top table we've seen so it, it's a wonderful document anyway but for me very very personal mm. and it, it's rather wonderful because it's even got where the bandstand was yeah. it's Rudolf Dunbar and his orchestra yeah. 600 people actually went to this wedding. Yeah. I mean, gasp at that. Yeah. You know, we hear about Asian weddings being big. It was Very a huge wedding. The couple actually ran the Fitzroy Tavern um, in Fitzrovia, so a lot of their guests were regulars. Um, that particular pub was uh, a kind of regular haunt for people like mm. Dylan Thomas um, and Augustus John, who was actually one of the guests. And it was said that uh, the attendees at the reception ranged from a chimney sweep to a cabinet minister, so they knew a lot of people from uh, all walks of life. But isn't it good that they invited the chimney sweep? Definitely, That tells yeah. you a lot <laughs> about, about my, my great aunt and uncle. They were, indeed, larger-than-life characters. It's interesting to go straight from that to wartime weddings mm. because obviously there's the austerity. You're, you're not dressed in a wedding dress, you're mm. in a suit. I mean, we can all see that picture of the wartime suit in our mind's eye. Yeah. And here it is in, in, in the flesh. Yeah. And, and a much smaller meal. As I said, yeah. we had a very quick wedding. It was wartime. We were only allowed three courses. Well, I love this. My father paid a pound a head, which included a three-course dinner, and later on, tea with a bum, and that was Rose Bentley. Yeah. Rose celebrated her 70th wedding anniversary last year, and, yeah... As she says, it, it kind of went from being these huge uh, receptions with 14 course dinners to just three courses because of rationing, obviously. You couldn't, you couldn't have such extravagant celebrations. But she's still here. She's mm. a volunteer. She's 90s. Yeah, she volunteers past. for us every week. Mm. She's in her early 90s, mm. and, yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband's still alive, mm. and um, they got photographed by Boris as well, mm. so she remembers having a photo mm. taken by him. Moving on to after the war. So after the war... Um, I think one, a couple of the stories that came through in terms of the material we have is that the war was quite a traumatic event, particularly for the Jewish community, but for wider society as well. And you see a return to domesticity. Many women go back into the home. You know, it's that typical 50s thing of uh, women being in the home and wanting household tips and different appliances. So we've got a couple of items that kind of reflect that. So we've got this Anglo Jewry's Brides Annual from 1953, which contains lots of tips for new brides, lots of recipes. Um, and then we've got some material from um, the Jewish Marriage Education Council, which was set up in 1946. And here you really see this organisation... Um, talking about traditional Judaism and wanting the new brides to, to know about traditional cooking for their families. So we have cookery and home management courses that they run. For example, we've got a, a photograph of the Sabbath table here. So teaching brides how to set up the table for, for Shabbat celebrations. Yeah. And some stay-at-home wives now, I think. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And, and this is a wonderful um, display here because it, it, it's an, 
survivors getting married and yeah. again I think this might be a Manchester wedding I'm not sure so yeah, they met in Manchester, Manchester wedding mm. so we've got two photographs here both of the grooms were holocaust survivors and I think particularly for for young survivors who came over and had lost all their families getting married was a really big way of coming to terms helping them heal um, from the trauma that they'd suffered and it's really wonderful to know that for example Ziggy Shipper who celebrated his wedding in 1946, now has um, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Mm. He's managed to build up a family. Yeah. And, and his wife, Jeanette Gorge, was a French refugee, yes. so they both had that common yes. experience yeah. they shared. They would have understood each other's pain, Yes, they? definitely, yeah. yeah. And this is our last dress, and it's not white, it's pink. It's pink, yeah. It's a day um, dress, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, mm. I mean, this was a wartime uh, dress. It was worn in 1940, and... Um, because of clothing rationing, because of all sorts of things, women weren't tending to marry in white, although some, some were able to, some were able to borrow dresses. But this particular bride had her dress made. It's pink, it's got beautiful um, embroidered beads, um, yes, very fitted dress, and it was worn with a jacket as well. So. Little abstract bead designs, but yeah. almost slightly purpley, aren't they? It's mm. very pretty, and the jacket's gorgeous with a sort of cowl neck. Yeah. Yes, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sniff at wearing that actually <laughs> right now. And then this is to do with the future, isn't it, almost? I mean, it's the present, but it's, yeah. um, it's enduring marriage. Yeah, I mean, the exhibition really looks at weddings. It doesn't look at marriage, but we mm. wanted to reflect on the fact that we don't necessarily know what happened to all the couples in this, in this exhibition. Many would have been married for a very long time, so we've got examples of that here. Rose Bentley, we've got her congratulation card from the Queen when she celebrated her 70th anniversary. Platinum, if yeah, platinum. in case anyone didn't yeah. know, 70th is platinum. <laughs> we've got a golden wedding anniversary uh, certificate presented to a couple from Brixton Synagogue, which is very beautiful, and another golden, golden wedding. Um, mm. A letter about to um, someone's parents congratulating them. So that wasn't the case for everyone, you know, some people might have got divorced, some mm, people might have lost That's the way it goes, yes. But, mm. you know, it's nice to know that some mm, marriages didn't survive. Yeah. quite a Jewish continuity. <laughs> You've got a sort of changing exhibition here that you can add to, haven't you, of uh, yeah. photographs that you want? You want we want people to um, send us their, mm. their photographs to include on the screen at the end of the exhibition because most of our collection really ends in the 1950s, so we want more modern material to yeah. reflect weddings now. And another way that people can actually interact and contribute is they can stand under your very pretty hooper, but down the sides of it, well, you, well, you can watch people's wedding videos, which yeah. is fun, but um, from all you can do is, I think, but what I love is there's little tiny clothes pegs on the side and you can mm. put your own little message on, can't yeah, you? Yeah, well, we want yeah. people to share their stories mm. with us, so hopefully when people come, they'll write a message and, and hang it on the hooper. Absolutely lovely. This is a case for Ketubot from different eras. I, well, actually, they're pretty old. These are old Ketubot, aren't yeah. they? In other words, the marriage contract, the Hebrew marriage contract. And my favourite is this one here, which is so British that it's got the lion and the unicorn and the, the whole crest of, of Great Britain on the top mm. of it. I just, I just love that because that says British Jew, mm. doesn't it? And we, but it dates from a long time ago. Well, it's 1804 and it's got the royal coat. It's the royal coat of arms for uh, George III. So, yeah, as you say, this is a couple who wanted to show that they were getting married in Britain, and that was obviously important to them. And it's beautifully hand-illuminated. Um, but then, on the other side of the case, we've got some, without wishing to sound rude, more kind of bog-standard <laughs> ketubot, mm. um, printed ketubot that were given to um, couples that got married in the East End. But even those, you can see kind of different designs. You've got the classic United Synagogue one, we've got a beautiful one on the far end from Great Garden Street Synagogue, which I really like. Uh, they seem to go in for, mm. it tends to be a Greek pillar with, with wreaths around it. It's presumably meant to 
to represent the hooper, I think. Possibly, mm. possibly. And uh, what I like is that if you now the wheel's gone full circle because everybody wants their mm. own personalised, personally designed one, which yes. is what these very old ones that you've got are here. Yeah. I have to say, mine was just a bog standard one. <laughs> <laughs> but my son's is, is really quite exciting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you've got marriage service booklets. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're if you don't know much about Jewish wedding ceremonies, hopefully this will help a little bit in terms mm. of getting a sense of what happens during the marriage ceremony. And also the text of the ketubah, which is very interesting um, because the ketubah actually belongs to the wife and it sets out the financial and marital mm. obligations of the husband towards her, which is obviously yeah. very interesting. I am smiling and nodding my head because <laughs> this is something the Jewish wife reminds her husband right, quite okay. often. If, or perhaps he doesn't need reminding mm. what, what it was he promised to the ketubah. Yes, yeah. Which I think is a great note to finish on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're I really welcome. appreciate it.